you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. Joining us today from UCLA Professor of Epidemiology and Community Health Sciences, Dr. Robert Kim Farley. Dr. Kim Farley, wonderful to have you with us today. Larry, it's good to be back with you. And I also want to take this moment to encourage uh, our listeners to take advantage of that match of their contributions to KPCC. Thank you so much, and we appreciate your support as, as always. So, Doctor, let's uh, talk about Moderna, which is seeking emergency use authorization to provide its lower-dose vaccine for children ages six months up to six years of age. What does this now set in motion with an FDA and CDC timeline? Yes, yeah, so that it's expected that Moderna in the coming weeks is going to seek uh, FDA authorization for this age group of six months to six years. Uh, they've used a dosage, about uh, one-fourth of the adult dosage, 25 micrograms versus 100 micrograms. Um, the results have been that for those that are six months to two years of age, about 44% protection, and then for those two to six years of age, about 38% protected. It's not quite like we'd like to see it. However, I would mention that... Uh, there, um, no one developed any severe Ill, illness uh, from it. So that that's also encouraging. So uh, um, is there potential that they would test a bit of a higher dose to sort of see where that threshold of negative reaction to the vaccine is versus the effectiveness of the vaccine? Or do they not want to mess with that? Yeah, I think at this stage, uh, Laurie, they're more planning to take a look at the third dose so that maybe um, it seems that uh, for Pfizer, for example, the third dose certainly seemed to do um, more robust uh, after those first two doses. So it's possible we may see a, if you will, a primary series for children to be three doses rather than uh, just the two. Okay. And is that something you expect is, is being researched right now? Yes, exactly. It's expected they will be able to show some uh, results uh, fairly soon about the three doses. Pfizer is already beginning to be able to get that data to the FDA. In the high 30s to say 40%, how does that compare, say, to the effectiveness of an annual flu vaccine? Yeah, it's uh, a little bit still below that. So um, I think that um, it, we'd certainly love to see higher numbers. Uh, in adults, for example, we want to see at least 50% for FDA to give approval for a vaccine. But I think, you know, given, uh, you know, our children are vulnerable. And uh, if you, as long as it's highly protective still against severe disease. It's uh, still, I think, a good way of going, even if it doesn't protect as much as we might like 
against infection. Now, uh, very, very few kids have had severe disease. So if you're a parent of a younger one like this, how do you weigh the very, very small chance that your child would contract COVID and have a severe case versus this potential benefit that they would get from the vaccine? Yes. Yeah, so I would still, uh, if I'm a parent, I am a parent, but not of a, of a young one at this stage, um, I would still opt for being able to get something that gives me 40% protection against infection for my child. And it's certainly going to be much higher uh, in terms of protection against any severe disease and, and death. So I think the, uh, and given the fact that the safety protocols that have been in place shows, you know, basically very little side effects of this vaccine, uh, I would opt for it. All right. And then what about the potential of the vaccine, even at 40 percent effectiveness? Um, How does that affect the potential that the child would give COVID to someone in the household? Does that significantly cut the risk of that? Well, it basically is cutting it by, uh, you know, some 40 percent. So especially if you have people in the household that may be immune compromised or elderly and, and have multiple medical conditions, uh, having that child with uh, that vaccine on board would help reduce the chance of uh, it coming, the virus coming into the household. Another thing would be that, assuming that the child is school-aged, um, even though, for example, here in LA, LAUSD has now dropped, as of yesterday, the required masking. Uh, if you had a highly susceptible person at home to severe disease, uh, that child may continue to opt to wear masks in the school setting. Also wanted to ask you about the type of mask, because I read that a properly fitting, say, N95 mask is about 95 percent effective at at filtering out uh, what would be a harmful uh, virus that the the person would be exposed to. Does that argue for you that if someone uh, is him or herself either in a higher risk category or a low immune system response or lives with someone in those categories that they should still consider wearing an N95 when out in the world? Yes, I think so, uh, Larry, that basically if you're making a decision to choose to wear a mask, uh, which many will do, and I do hope that we don't stigmatize people who wear masks because we have to recognize that it may be they themselves at higher risk or that they are living with people at higher risk and we should respect that. Yeah. But I think that if you're wearing a mask, the best thing to do is wear a higher medical grade mask, such as an N95. All right. Very good. If you have questions for Dr. Robert Kim Farley of UCLA, we're at 866-893-KPCC, 866-893-5722, or email your question, including your first name and location, please, to atcomments at kpcc.org. Dr. Farley, this morning, the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, was at City Field where the Mets play and announced he'd signed an order effective immediately that athletes and and other performers uh, will not have to show proof of vaccination to uh, perform within the New York City limits. This affects Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving, as well as some other arts performers who had not been able to perform at venues in New York City. What do you think of the city taking that step? Well, I think, again, it's recognizing the fact that uh, COVID numbers are dropping, although there has been recent increases uh, most likely due to the subvariant of the BA2 that's hitting the Northeast in New York, New Jersey uh, areas. 
Um, so I think it's, it's reflective of the fact that, you know, the numbers are down, certainly from the peaks that there were. Uh, we're going to begin to take uh, into a fact that, you know, COVID is going to be with us. It's going to be endemic. And how do we, you know, go back to a more uh, pre-pandemic uh, way of living? So I, I think these are going to be the types of decisions that are being made uh, county or city by city uh, and state by state. Uh, we have, uh, according to uh, CDC data, about one out of three U.S. COVID cases are of the B2 subvariant of Omicron. As that continues to grow in percentage, how much do you think that will fuel an overall increase in COVID-19 cases? Larry, that's a very good question. I think the, the jury is out a little bit on that. But if I was looking at my crystal ball, um, given the fact that the uh, BA2 subvariant is more transmissible than the earlier Omicron, I think that we are going to see perhaps some leveling off and maybe in some places like we've seen in the Northeast, some increases in the numbers of cases. However, where I don't anticipate that we will see you know, huge surges. And I think also it's um, due to a multiple factors, uh, multiple factors, not only just the BA2 subvariant increasingly becoming um, prevalent and probably will become the dominant uh, variant in the United States over time as it has become so worldwide. Uh, I think that we are going to uh, see that we find that like masking changes, vaccination requirement changes, these are also going to contribute to uh, some leveling off or some uh, modest increase in numbers of cases. So it won't be just the variant at play. Uh, a number of uh, the CEOs of airlines in this country are asking the federal government to do away with masking requirements on airplanes and in airports. What do you think about that? Yes, so I think that we are recognizing that again, with the numbers of cases decreasing, uh, and as the 18 April uh, current extension for mask wearing on airplanes is uh, uh, approaching, that it's anticipated that there may in fact be a relaxation of masking on airplanes. Dr. Kim Farley, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us. All the best uh, to you and your colleagues at the Fielding School of Public Health. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in LA. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.